0: People of God, we look together in God's word and this evening in 2nd Epistle of John. 2nd John, there's no chapters, it's just the book. 2nd John, we'll read uh, the entire book, uh, but our focus will be verses 1 and 2. Our text is verse 1 and 2. People of God, hear the glorious gospel, good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, revealed in God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning we that we love one another this is love that we walk according to his commandments and this is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning you should walk in it for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh this is the deceiver and an antichrist look to yourselves That we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For, we, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. People of God, Second John is... Um, almost universally uh, acknowledged as being one of the last books of the Bible uh, to be written. Uh, John is very likely in the city of Ephesus, one of the major ancient cities of the Roman world. Uh, The theme of the books of the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and uh, to a degree, the book of Revelation, the theme, one of the great themes is truth. It's the great question of our ages. What is truth? It is a question that was asked at, uh, near the, right before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. John reveals and sets before us truth. Uh, Because it is God's word given to us through the Apostle John. Uh, We are confident uh, that it is Apostle John, though John's name does not appear in the book. So the first thing that we look at when we think about the truth, uh, that is the theme of the first two verses in the context of God's revelation, is... The explainer of truth or the one through whom the truth comes and then to whom is the truth given and then some content of the truth. So who is the one through whom God is revealing the truth that we have in these verses and particularly we look at verse uh, 1 and 2 and the declaration is the elder uh, the elder as we see, the elder is identified by John almost universally, and we see it is the epistle of John. That, of course, is not the inspired text. Uh, The inspired text simply says uh, the elder. Uh, John is one who has certainly been chosen by God to bring truth. Uh, We see that from the books that actually bear his name. And one of the things is we see that Second John is really a summary of uh, many uh, uh, of the gospel of John, and it's a summary of the book of Revelation and First uh, John. Uh, these, it, it really uh, has the main themes and the similar language, and, and so uh, there's no reason in any way to doubt that it is of John, John. Uh, certainly was one of the youngest of the disciples uh, when Jesus was teaching and preaching on this earth. And now, it seems, he is universally recognized in that day as the elder. Uh, John, uh, that disciple who in, for instance, John chapter 13, uh, John 13, uh, verse uh, 23 it declares this concerning John, that Jesus uh, that John is the disciple that is loved by Jesus. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And uh, the book of John uh, does not use uh, the word John either, but it identifies John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we see in our text, truth and love. Uh, John, in 1 John, uh, sets before us uh, the nature of a testimony, a witness that he has. uh, That John is an eyewitness, an eyewitness of redemptive history in its culminating moment in the coming of Jesus Christ. And so 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 begins this way. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father And was manifested to us that which we have seen and heard. We declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. God in his marvelous condescending love and mercy uh, sets before us human beings that are eyewitnesses of the historical ...reality of his redeeming acts in Christ. And John is one of those witnesses. Uh, A witness uh, will often be one who comes to a court case... ...in the context of of a trial. And you get at the truth... uh, because of the witness and John is one of those witnesses and God has then had the witnesses writing down and this ought to in in itself in in a small way uh, convince us of truth. These were witnesses of the events whom God then so directed through the Spirit to bear witness to us concerning the truth that... They saw and lived in the reality and heard concerning the reality of Jesus Christ and his teachings. John is now that privileged in that privileged group that are apostolic or prophetic witnesses through whom the Holy Spirit so moves and directs to give us an infallible word from God, even as it intertwines not in the sense of an intertwining of meaning that there's part man and part God, but as it uses those whom God called in order to be apostles, he uses them to strengthen our faith. It's an apostolic witness to the truth that is being revealed. And John is defined as the elder. Well, there are a variety of meanings in the scripture when one thinks of the term elder, uh, we can think of its literal meaning, an elder, an older man, an old man. Uh, an elder would be uh, the Jew, Jewish leader at the gate of the city. An elder as the church office bearer, a Presbyterian, a elder rule within the church. But there are many who believe that the word elder here is not specific, uh, is not a general reference to the, uh, to the office of elder, because we know that John was an apostle. It doesn't mean that it's impossible to think of him as an elder in the church. Uh, there would be, um, Paul would identify himself as an elder um, In first and Peter and first Peter five one, the elders who are among you, I exhort I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a preacher of the glory that will be revealed. So there is this this acknowledgement that there is some sense in which a pastor, even an apostle is an elder. But John is. At the end of his life, he is the elder. And it's almost like everybody knows who this is. It's the elder. It's the, the apostle John, the one that's really old, that's, uh, that can be identified simply as with this term both of endearment and respect and authority within it, all of those things. But he just has to say the elder, and everybody knew who it was that was writing to them. And so this is clearly this this life of John being brought and testified. John, that beloved disciple, and he is now uh, one of those foundational teachers, revealers, along with Peter and, and Paul, the apostle, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 uh, sets before us uh, the nature of this apostolic witness. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22. When we think of the apostles and the way that God used them and bringing about an inscripturated, a written word for the New Testament people of God, we give glory and thanks to God for this Glorious provision of truth that has been given, Ephesians 2, uh, verse 19. Now therefore, you who are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together with for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. The... Apostles, the elder here, are revealing that foundational truth upon which the church will be built until Christ returns. And so we do not, as a people of God, look to a new foundation, but that which God has given us in his word by his holy apostles, including the elder that writes this particular book I'm reminded of uh, just a few short notes, uh, this principle of apostolic authority, apostolic foundation. Uh, I'm reminded of our church uh, uh, joins together for a, a Reformation moment. It, it's really, a, a we, it also includes like a, a fun time for our kids. They play games and, and the little ones really like it, but we always have some message and I was tasked with the message and so I brought a not a, a little meditation and I used an illustration from my army days. I used some children to help come up and, and uh, uh, get, help me with that. Uh, that. Uh, but it was, uh, when I was in the army, uh, we would have formations and every morning we'd have a battalion formation and that would be over a thousand men. And then each, uh, and the battalion was made up of various companies. And each company was made up of uh, different. Uh, uh, platoons, and each platoon had various squads, and you all were in your formation, and every company was in the same place, and every uh, platoon was in the same place, and every squad was in the same place, and the squad leader was normally a sergeant, which I eventually became, and I was in charge, and then 10 men, and then I'd look to see who was all there, and I'd say, all present and accounted for sir and then they they would say to the battalion commander all present and accounted for sir and then they'd say it to the to the uh, battalion commander all present and or accounted for hopefully you'd be able to say that it was a formation and every day we're reformed into the same formation there was an original formation and reformation was when you got back to the same thing reformation wasn 't well let 's just <coughs> change the formation today and we 'll start something new every day uh, we 'll have a new a new formation uh, and we 'll call that reformation that 's not reformation that would have been chaos if every day we had to find a new place to be it was we, we all knew exactly where we were supposed to be, and that was And we were reformed every morning. But that didn't mean we were changing constantly into something new. We went back to the original foundation, the original order that was given. And we reformed every day. That's the church. That's what it means to be reformed. It is to recognize the authority of the apostles, of the elder in the text as foundational. So the one who brings the word brings it with apostolic authority. Now, who are the recipients of this authority? Well, like most of the New Testament epistles, uh, the recipient is the church of Jesus Christ. And it is described, the church is described as the elect lady and her children. That which was from the beginning... Or the, the church is then uh, described as that elect lady, second John, uh, the, to the elect lady and her children, here are the recipients of the truth of God, the elect lady. There are numerous words to describe the church. There are all kinds of ways that we could describe the church, and the word that it's used is elect, elect lady. There could have been many others, but this is a word that is totally appropriate to be used in a very common and repetitive way concerning the church. Uh, there are those who think that election may be uh, some uh, fine-tuned theological principle that is, uh, that is best suited to be put in, on the shelf in the back corner of the pastor's study, but don't bring it into everyday church life. Now, I know your pastor doesn't do that, right? Nor should any faithful pastor do that. Because election is not something that ought to be cowered from, retreated from, ashamed of, thought of as something that would be harmful to the body of Christ and to evangelism and the proclamation of the gospel. It is a glorious truth. And it is a truth that very succinctly and beautifully describes the church. We are the elect church, chosen. We know, people of God, that that election is unconditional. It is an unconditional election because there is nothing that we can do in order to make God elect us in His sovereign grace. He elects us, He chooses us. There's no condition that we could meet that would bring us to find some kind of worth or merit before God. Election is unconditional. And we note as it is tied to verse 3, as uh, the text would go on, and and that grace, mercy, and peace comes from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. This election is in Christ. And Ephesians chapter 1 is that text that so beautifully declares to us Uh, The way in which God elects us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. O people of God, uh, this is not some truth to flee from. But to rejoice in. It is a matter of faithful proclamation. Of the gospel itself. Uh, There are some who say that in the proclamation of the gospel. uh, That you, you preach like an Arminian. And once they come through the door. Then you remind them about election. I'm reminded of. A time in my life when I had opportunity to uh, bring uh, the word of God to prisoners in a local prison. It was only about three blocks from our church in, in New Jersey. And, uh, and uh, once a month on Sunday evening, I would go to the prison and bring a word. And one time I was asked to come and help. And, and one of the other ministers who I, I was I played the guitar. And so it was for, a, uh, I think it was around Christmas time. And they wanted my, me to come and play the guitar for some songs. And so I was there. Uh, and so we were, I was playing guitar. And then I had to listen to the guy uh, bring the gospel. And, and I, I was grieved in my spirit uh, because it was, what I would call the, the wimpy proclamation of the gospel in which he was pleading with these uh, guys in jail to come to Jesus, come to Jesus, please come to Jesus. And I thought, this is, oh, man. So next time I'm going, I'm going to evangelize, do election evangelism, election evangelism. And so he we went to the, to the jail, and it I could have I don't remember the text, could have well been Ephesians uh, chapter one. Elect. And I declared God elects. He sovereignly saves. He transforms the sinful, rebellious heart. He changes that one that has no desire to see him. He changes and transforms them because of what Christ has accomplished. And I declared God's sovereign grace. And about 80% of the prisoners who normally show up show up so that they can banter with their buddies for 10 minutes afterwards while they're waiting to go out. That's just the nature of the thing. They can't mess up the service or the guards kick them out. And so they're an attentive audience. But afterwards, they can interact for a little bit. And so I know many of the guys are there, not because they're coming there to hear the gospel. And I said amen, and nobody moved. Literally, no one moved. The guards didn't move. The inmates didn't move. Nobody moved. Nobody said a word. They were silent, absolutely silent. We're looking at 50 men, prisoners, they were absolutely silent. I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned. And finally, I, I finally I thought, what when, when are the guards going to take up? They always say, all right, time to get up. Let's go. You know, they go to the door. The guards were standing there. And I, finally, I said, so does anybody have any questions? And one guy, he raises his hand. And I said, yeah. He says, that was heavy. That was heavy. We are the elect lady. That's heavy, people of God. That's heavy. It's glorious. It is sovereign grace at work. And it is not something to put on the shelf. By God's grace, many will be saved in sovereign grace proclamation of the gospel. It is to the elect lady, the lady. We sang in our opening psalm about the daughters of Jerusalem. Uh, You know, a royal bride give heed. And the scripture sets before the church. and, 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 And one of the images of the church that God gives us is that the church is a bride. In this text, God sets before us the image of a mother. The church as mother. That is no new theme uh, to the Bible. Uh, Paul picks up the theme in Galatians chapter 4. And we can't uh, go into every aspect of this text. But uh, just hear clearly that the church is our mother. Galatians 4, 25 and 26 uh, for Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. In other words, the physical Jerusalem is not a very good sign and image of the true people of God at the moment that Paul is writing. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. So uh, the the image of mother in relationship to us as the people of God, being a reference to the church is not something that is totally is not obscure in god 's word and in this particular place, uh, we know that the elect lady, a lady, a mother, and her children so it 's a, a lady who has children, so uh, the the children looked to That one who is the elect lady as the mother, and it's the church. And in this particular context, we're not thinking of, as in Galatians, where it seems that, where it looks like there is one mother, and then all of us are the children of one mother. Here it's using mother as an example of the local church to the elect lady. And her children. In verse 13, it says uh, that there is this greeting, and and there in verse 13, the children of your elect sister, another elect lady, greet you. Amen. And so you see in, in 2 John that this image of the local church being a mother to the members of that church the children of the church. And so when we think of a, of a mother, we think of one who loves and nurtures and cares for, at least that's the way it ought to be, although our state is now challenging such a thought with legalizing in every way and in institutionalizing in our state constitution the, quote, right of a mother to destroy her children in the womb. But that's not what we would normally think of as motherhood. And we think of motherhood in, 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 in those special contexts of love and nurture and caring for and providing for and feeding. And so, people of God, we ought to look at the local church with those. Kinds of images in our mind, and and thinking of the church as that place, God as Father and the church as Mother. And the church here can be seen as a sovereign grace, the Mother and her children. And we're part then of a family. And, of course, we see that imagery as well. So this is a a word to a local church, which, of course, the elect lady and her children is to every church of Jesus Christ, so it's certainly a word to us as well. It's a word to us about God's will for us, God's truth revealed. And what are the characteristics, then, of this word? Well, the characteristics and, and what uh, the uh, truth is, is the truth is revealed. And, in, and there's a link in the text between I love and truth. So it's an, a loved elect lady, loved by the apostle. And, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, all those who know the truth, love the elect lady and her children. Uh, The elect lady, the elect mother, the mother is one who is loved. And it is the elect and the children are loved and they are loving its both and. And this is the word for love. Not one uh, might think that in this particular text that uh, they might use the word love that references a love between family members, but that's not the word that's used. It is that unique New Testament word that's given meaning beyond the culture and the language of the Greek language. The word love appears in the Greek language, but the New Testament. Fills that word with meaning and significance, even as it gives the specific, the very specific definition in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. Where we're reminded of what this love is, this agape love. Love, verse 4, suffers long and is and is. Kind Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. John, to the, or the elder, to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Loving in truth reminds me of a phrase that uh, one of my uh, teachers once gave me, and that is the people of God are engaged in obedient love and loving obedience. A truth in love here can be seen in one way as doctrine in life. Truth, doctrine, love, life. We are a people who are exhibiting a, a, the, living, the living that we do, the activity we do is to be loving But that love can only be done in the context of truth. Truth. A truth that the world may well reject. A truth that is not something unique to an individual or a culture or a a particular church. And in the uh, uh, back in around Ephesus somewhere. No, it is a truth that is true for every culture in every time from Adam to the present to the coming of Christ. It is truth that must be known. It has a content. It's objective. It can be organized. It can be counted. It can can be organized into statements. We summarize that truth in creeds and confessions, doctrines. Not something bad, something essential to the life of the lady, to the people of God, to the church of Jesus Christ. That truth, that truth which abides in us, it exists in the present It has had an impact on us in the past. It exists in the present. You see in these texts, there's a past aspect to the truth. There's a present aspect to the truth. And there's a future and will be with us forever. It's talking about how that truth is permeating us, past, present, and future. It lasts forever. Truth. What is truth? What is truth? Well, God's gospel makes it abundantly clear, doesn't it? In John 14, verse 6, that passage that uh, so many of you know by heart and your children. This is a passage that is so important that I hope it's on your list of memorized passages It was in a discussion where Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? How can we know the way? How can we know how to get there? How do we know the true path? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you can know him and have seen him. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. Uh, That one that uh, we were elect in Christ, even before the foundation of the world, That one, Jesus Christ, who is the one who is the redemption, is our redeemer. And he paid the price on the cross. He is the way. He is the truth. There can be no true truth apart from Christ. It is God at work in us through his son. And it is the focus of our faith comes to not just Truth on a page, but truth in a living reality, in the Son, in our Lord, in our Savior, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Oh, gracious God, heavenly Father, we pray that we can, that we would be nourished and refreshed by this truth in love, and that we may love In truth, and we give you all the praise and honor and glory for, oh Father, embracing us as your elect lady, the children of the elect lady. Oh God, may we live out the reality of that in truth and in love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.